0: Welcome to the Dark Diaries, the podcast where the darkest stories shed the brightest light on our fears. In this episode, we delve into the horrifying story of the Tylenol murders. Before we begin, make sure to subscribe and follow us for more true crime. In the early hours of September 29, 1982, a 12-year-old girl named Mary Kellerman in Elk Grove Village, Chicago, complained to her parents about a sore throat and runny nose. After convincing her father to let her skip classes that day, she entered the bathroom and swallowed one extra-strength Tylenol capsule. Her mother had purchased it from the grocery store the previous night. Within seconds, her father heard coughing followed by the sound of something hitting the floor. Concerned, he called out to Mary, but there was no response. Growing increasingly worried, he opened the bathroom door only to discover his daughter, lying motionless on the floor. Her eyes were fixed and dilated, and her breathing was shallow, as if an invisible force was suffocating her. The paramedics arrived swiftly, but their efforts to revive Mary proved futile. By the time they transported her to Election Brothers Medical Center in Elk Grove Village, it was clear that she was in full cardiac arrest. Desperate for a miracle, the doctors installed a pacemaker and even had a priest to administer the last rites. Mary passed away by 9.45 a.m. that morning. On that very same day, a postal worker named Adam Janice, from Arlington Heights, Illinois, wasn't feeling well in the morning. He had decided to take the day off from work. Although he had experienced some chest pains the day before, he felt well enough to accompany his wife and young son on a morning of errands. After picking up their daughter from school, they made a stop at a local grocery store. Among the items they purchased were steaks, fresh-cut lilies for his wife, and a bottle of extra-strength Tylenol. Upon returning home from the grocery store, Adam put away their purchases and proceeded to the bathroom. It was there that he seemingly swallowed two Tylenol capsules, although his wife did not witness him taking them. However, as Adam emerged from the bathroom, he clutched his chest and began complaining of pain. Alarmed, Adam's wife followed him into the bedroom and noticed that his gaze was fixed and his eyes dilated. His breathing had become shallow. His family thought he died of a heart attack. Adam's brother, Stanley and his wife Teresa, or people called her Terry, were present at Adam's house during this time of grief. Stanley and Terry were newlyweds. Suffering from chronic back pain and a headache compounded by the distress of the situation, Stanley decided to alleviate his discomfort by taking a couple of Tylenols. He offered the pills to his mother, but she declined, having already taken two pills from her purse at the hospital. Terry, on the other hand, was plagued by an unrelenting headache. She grabbed a glass of water and followed her husband into the bathroom. Moments later, Stanley emerged, clutching his chest, his condition rapidly deteriorating. As he began to collapse, his brother Joseph caught him and gently lowered him to the floor. Terry Janus also complained of chest pain. At Arlington Heights Station 3, firefighters and paramedics were in the midst of preparing dinner when they received a distress call about a man down the address mentioned by the dispatcher 1262 south mitchell avenue left them in disbelief they had been to that very location a few hours prior for a similar incident which tragically resulted in the individual's death two calls to the same address within such a short span of time was deeply concerning inside the house paramedics battled to revive Stanley as he lay on the floor. One of the medics approached Lieutenant Kramer, fear in his eyes, and conveyed the disturbing realization. This is the exact same thing that happened to the man this morning. He disclosed, recounting the tragic outcome of their earlier encounter. Terry, in distress, called out to her unconscious husband, desperately pleading for his response. Then, with a groan, she collapsed to the floor. Kramer initially believed she had fainted, but as he turned her over, he recognized that the situation was far more dire. Her breathing had become shallow, and her eyes were fixed and dilated. Realizing the gravity of the situation, Kramer knew that this wasn't a mere case of heart attacks. Something was terribly wrong. Six paramedics now worked diligently to attend to two people in critical condition. Speculating the possibility of an airborne contagion within the house, Kramer decided to secure the safety of the entire Janus family. They were placed in police cars and swiftly transported to Northwest Community Hospital. Kramer radioed ahead to the hospital staff, urgently alerting them to the situation. You better find a place for us. He stressed, knowing that 14 individuals required isolation. As the ambulances raced towards the hospital, Dr. Kim, who was preparing to leave after a long shift, received word from a nurse about the two collapsed individuals en route from the Janus house. Initially assuming it was Adam's grieving parents, Dr. Kim was shocked to learn that it was his brother. Without hesitation, he instructed the ICU nurses that he would be staying. Mobilizing the emergency department, Dr. Kim began immediate treatment upon their arrival. Meanwhile, the rest of the Janus family, along with the responding police, firefighters, and paramedics, were quarantined in a hospital meeting room. Joseph Janus, filled with shock and disbelief, struggled to comprehend the unfolding events. Dr. Kim, also, remained in the dark, unaware of the cause behind Adam Janice's death and the critical condition of two other family members. 30 minutes after the tragic death of Adam Janice in Winfield, Mary Reiner found herself in her living room, preparing to feed her six-day-old son. Plagued by a persistent headache, she had purchased Tylenol earlier in the day, following her doctor's advice. In an attempt to alleviate her headache, Reiner swallowed two capsules of Tylenol. Almost immediately, she got dizzy and lost her balance. Struggling to reach the bathroom, she collapsed onto a kitchen chair with uncontrollable convulsions. Reiner's husband called for police officers to arrive promptly at their duplex. The sight that greeted them was harrowing. Reiner's eyes were fixed and dilated, and she continued to experience one seizure after another. Her sobbing mother-in-law cradled the newborn in her arms, bearing witness to this devastating ordeal. Within the next few days, Mary McFarland found herself with a headache in the break room while on the job. She is a single mother raising two young boys, found solace in her job at the Illinois Bell Telephone Store. After enduring a challenging divorce two years prior, she had finally started to regain stability in her life. The union wages and flexible hours offered by her position made it an ideal choice for a mother juggling the responsibilities of parenthood. Migraines were not uncommon in the store, given the flickering fluorescent lights and demanding customers. In the break room, McFarland retrieved two Tylenol capsules from their container and offered some to her co-worker, Diana Hildebrand. However, Hildebrand declined, having already taken some other medication earlier in the day. McFarland then resumed her duties on the store floor. Unexpectedly, McFarland hurriedly returned to the break room a few minutes later. As Hildebrand recounted the events, she recalled McFarland expressing her discomfort, before suddenly collapsing. In a state of panic, their co-workers sprang into action, attempting CPR and urgently calling 911. When the paramedics arrived, they inquired about substances McFarland may have taken. Hildebrand informed them about the Tylenol. McFarland was swiftly transported to Good Samaritan Hospital in Downers Grove, where doctors delivered devastating news to her family. She had suffered a catastrophic stroke. Despite the best efforts of medical professionals, her condition remained unchanged. She was never awakened from her collapse. Around the same time, Paula Prince, a flight attendant for United Airlines, arrived at O'Hare International Airport. Her demanding schedule included a trip from Las Vegas and then a flight to Hartford, Connecticut, before returning home. Feeling the weariness of the day, Prince made a stop at a Walgreens near her residence. She had purchased a bottle of Tylenol, Unaware of the tragic fate that awaited her, she was captured on a security camera as she stood at the cash register, still donning her United Airlines uniform in a navy pantsuit, a neck scarf, and high-heeled shoes. She went back home and took one capsule from her recent purchase. Little did she know that the photograph would forever freeze the moment she unknowingly purchased the means of her own demise. She was the next victim in this string of murders. These news triggered widespread panic across the entire nation. During the early days of October 1982, investigators were able to establish a link between the series of poisoning deaths and Tylenol. It was discovered that each victim had unknowingly consumed a capsule contaminated with a fatal amount of cyanide. Among all the victims, there was a close call. Laura Morgan was just three years old back in 1982 when her mother, Linda Morgan, purchased a bottle of Tylenol from a local grocery store to alleviate the pain in her aching leg. Unbeknownst to Linda and several others, the bottle she acquired contained cyanide-laced pills. However, unlike the unfortunate victims, Linda managed to survive. Reflecting on the incident, Laura, now grown with a child of her own, expressed her gratitude for their fortunate outcome. She realized that her life could have been forever changed without her parents by her side. She pondered the reasons behind their inexplicable escape, stating, I don't know why we were spared, but we were. At the time, Linda, who was 35 years old, since something was amiss when she opened the bottle and decided against taking the Tylenol. Trusting her instincts, she opted for aspirin instead. Looking back, Linda, now 75, shared her chilling recollection, saying, I had the bottle open. I looked at one of the capsules. And then I thought, no, I'll just take aspirin instead. I could have been the 8th victim. In her first interview since those events, Linda recounted the fateful moment that spared her life and emphasized the significance of that decision. Johnson & Johnson, the parent company that manufactures Tylenol, took measures with the media to widespread warnings to the public. They promptly initiated a large-scale recall of over 31 million bottles of Tylenol that were in circulation at the time. In early October, contaminated capsules were discovered in a few selected grocery stores and drugstores in the Chicago area, but fortunately, they had not yet been sold or consumed. In an effort to address the issue, Johnson & Johnson offered replacement capsules to those who returned the previously purchased pills. Johnson & Johnson promptly determined that the contamination with cyanide had taken place after the Tylenol cases left the factory. Based on police speculation, it was suspected that an individual had removed bottles from the shelves of nearby grocery stores and drugstores, tampered with the capsules by adding poison, and then placed the packages back on the shelves for unsuspecting customers to purchase. This case prompted a massive manhunt for the perpetrator. After receiving a deluge of tips, investigators found themselves sifting through an immense volume of information. Their efforts resulted in the accumulation of 15,000 pages of documents, testing millions of Tylenol capsules, and conducting interviews with 400 individuals considered persons of interest. During the course of their investigation, there were a few key suspects. One was Lori Dan, an aspiring teacher who carried out a series of shootings and poisonings in Illinois in 1988. Although she was briefly looked into, no direct connection to the Chicago Tylenol murders was established. Lori Dan died by suicide that same year. An individual named James Lewis stepped forward and identified himself as the perpetrator behind the murders. Lewis, originally an accountant from Kansas City, had gained notoriety as an extortionist in 1978 he faced charges for the murder of a former client after the police discovered the victim's remains in his attic however due to a legal technicality the charges were eventually dropped it was during the initial investigation into this murder that lewis first came under the scrutiny of the fbi lewis had been working as a tax accountant and had a reputation for engaging in fraudulent activities His handwriting was positively matched to two letters that had been sent to Johnson & Johnson and the White House. The letter sent to Johnson & Johnson demanded a million-dollar payment to halt the cyanide-induced poisonings, while the letter sent to the White House threatened to bomb it and continue the Tylenol poisonings. During the time of the murders, Lewis was in New York City with his wife. He had left the Chicago area in early September 1982. In an intriguing turn of events, Lewis showed the authorities how an individual could tamper with Tylenol pills using cyanide, claiming that he did so, to provide assistance. Furthermore, an unidentified man captured in CCTV footage from one of the affected drugstores bore a remarkable resemblance to Lewis. The footage showed the man observing victim Paula Prince, who was also seen purchasing the contaminated pills ultimately lewis was sentenced to 20 years in prison for extortion letter fraud and credit card fraud however he served only 13 years of his sentence following an extensive pursuit the authorities concluded that lewis was in new york and had no evident connections to the incidents in chicago johnson and johnson took actions to enhance consumer protection since the incident They also launched a reward program to anyone who could provide information that would help in apprehending the persons responsible for these strings of murders. Despite Johnson & Johnson's efforts, the reward of $100,000 remains unclaimed and the case of the Chicago Tylenol murders remains unsolved. In the initial week of the crisis, the company took proactive measures by establishing a 1-800 hotline for consumers to report or seek information regarding the safety of Tylenol. To address the issue and regain public trust, Johnson & Johnson introduced a new packaging solution called the Triple Safety Seal. This packaging included a glued box, a plastic seal over the bottle's neck, and a foil seal over the bottle's mouth. The company held a press conference at its headquarters about this new tamper-resistant packaging, making Tylenol the first product in the industry to adopt such measures. This innovation was implemented just six months of the crisis taking place. These packaging swiftly became the new industry standard for all over-the-counter medications. Additionally. The company revamped their pills as solid caplets, which were a lot more difficult to tamper with compared to the older capsules. Within a year, and following a substantial investment exceeding $100 million, Tylenol sales rebounded, reclaiming its position as US top pain reliever. The investigation into the Tylenol murders remained open for several years, but unfortunately, the perpetrator was never found. In the aftermath of the tragic Tylenol murders, a wave of similar assaults emerged. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration reported over 270 documented cases of product tampering one month after the incident. Tampered pills containing substances from rat poison to hydrochloric acid inflicted sickness across the country. Disturbingly, some copycats expanded their actions to include tampering with food. During Halloween that same year, parents reported discovering sharp pins concealed within candies and chocolate bars, prompting certain communities to outright ban trick-or-treating. These copycat attacks had far-reaching consequences. In 1986, three deaths occurred in Washington state, directly linked to these types of assaults. That very year, Procter & Gamble faced a similar ordeal when their product in Capron was subjected to a spiking hoax in Chicago and Detroit. As a result, the company recalled the product, experiencing a significant decline in sales and eventually withdrawing it from the market. Following the 25th anniversary of the crime, public interest in the case was reignited, leading to a surge in new tips received by the police. In response, authorities re-examined the old evidence and conducted an additional search of James Lewis's residence in 2009. Furthermore, they obtained a DNA sample from Lewis for analysis. However, these efforts failed to provide further incriminating evidence against him. In a surprising turn, the FBI even requested DNA samples from Ted Kaczynski, known as the Unabomber, who had previously terrorized the same area a few years earlier. Currently incarcerated in a federal supermax prison in Colorado, he is serving a life sentence for his involvement in bombings that resulted in the deaths of three people. Kaczynski, however, denied any involvement in the potassium cyanide case. None of the new leads have yielded substantial results and the investigation remains ongoing. After 40 years from the date of this crime, in 2020, the police department embarked on a collaboration with OTHRAM. OTHRAM is a Houston-based company with the aim of harnessing advanced forensic DNA technology to crack the case. They specialize in utilizing cutting-edge techniques to extract minute traces of human DNA from various items, even if they are aged or degraded. The objective is to uncover a distant family connections to the perpetrator by scrutinizing thousands of genetic markers within the human genome. Additionally, OTHRAM is capable to analyze DNA samples that are smaller than the tip of a needle. They state feel that they have exhausted the resources available at crime laboratories, so they often turn to private companies like OTHRAM for assistance. These collaborations allow them to explore alternative avenues. As we conclude this video, let us remember the innocent lives lost in this tragic event. We hope you enjoyed this segment about the Tylenol murders. Until next time, stay curious, stay brave, and stay a little... dark.